Hey, just quick trigger warning. This video does include a verbal reference to suicide. Hey, brother! The unforgivable curses, the three most powerful and darkest spells known to wizard kind. The use of a single one, even once, can land you a lifetime in Azkaban. They are, of course, the Imperius Curse, the Cruciatus Curse, and last but certainly not least, <laughs> Throughout the story, Harry finds himself on the receiving end of each of these curses at least once, and even tries to use two of them. Which, keep that in mind because it is going to be incredibly important as we peel back the various layers of this idea. But overall, it's not hard to understand why they could be so dangerous. One kills, one tortures, and one controls. But as long as we've been reading Harry Potter, they've just existed in the canon. We've never really thought to ask who created these spells and why, but let me tell you, as we dove deeper and deeper, I couldn't believe believe how the actual creators of this spell managed to weave themselves into the story so perfectly. Like, it continues to pay off over and over. Today, we find out. created the unforgivable curses? Well, today I think we're just gonna start with the answer and then work backwards because the more you peel it back, the crazier it gets. My confidence level on this one is sky high. So without any further ado, the creators of the unforgivable curses were none other than the three Peveril brothers, the same brothers who created the Deathly Hallows. The idea being that not only did each brother create one of the Deathly Hallows, but they also each created one of the unforgivable curses. Well, before we get too deep into this, I do want to give a huge shout out to Brett's thoughts over on TikTok for first piecing together this idea. Because like I said, once I started digging into it, I found it to be more and more and more true. So I reached out to him and asked if we could expound upon it here on the channel and he was all for it. So if you want to see the original post or any of the other TikToks he makes, I will leave a link to that down in the description down below. He does lots of other fun Harry Potter content. So please go check it out. Give him a follow and a like. Tell him we sent you there. Thank Thank you, Brett's thoughts. So again, the idea is that the three brothers who created the Deathly Hallows, the Elder Wand, the Resurrection Stone, and the Cloak of Invisibility, each created one of the unforgivable curses. Dumbledore himself says it's more likely that the brothers were just incredibly talented, powerful wizards who were able to create the Deathly Hallows, rather than it being more likely that they ran into death on a bridge who gave them the items. But if they were clever enough to make those super powerful items, then it stands to reason that they were also clever enough to come up with the these insanely powerful spells. In fact, the fact that Avada Kedavra is the killing curse and that they're also supposed to have created the Deathly Hallows kind of fits pretty well on its own, right? Like the creators of the Deathly Hallows created the killing curse. I mean, heck, you could probably go one step further and say that the creation of the spell Avada Kedavra is what led the Elder Wand to have such a reputation as a wand that could never lose. Like, is it truly an unbeatable wand or was he just the only one who knew the unblockable killing curse. But so yes, if you're doing the math, that does mean I think the first brother, Antioch, who had the Elder Wand, is the one who created Avada Kedavra. And since he was the first brother, he also seems like a good place to start. As the story goes, Antioch asked Death to create a wand more powerful than any in existence, a wand that must always win duels for its owner, a wand worthy of a wizard who had conquered death. Conquered death indeed, more like conquered the spell that can cast death. But really, the way Antioch describes how he wants the wand to work lines up pretty well with how we know Avada Kedavra to work. Moody tells the class in Goblet of Fire, not nice. 
not pleasant, and there's no counter curse. There's no blocking it. Only one known person has ever survived it, and he's sitting right in front of me. An unbeatable spell for an unbeatable wand. Even the fact that Harry himself is the only person to survive Avada Kedavra, and then by book seven, he like levels up and survives it again, this time cast by the Elder Wand, seems to fit. Of course, in that moment, Harry himself actually is already the master of the Elder Wand and master of death in a way that Antioch never really was. Because while Antioch may have conjured up the spell that can cast death, he certainly couldn't avoid death. And actually even more interesting is that the Elder Wand has a Thestral Core hair, which according to Wizarding World, is a potent but tricky core to master. Only a witcher wizard who is capable of accepting death could do so. So yet another reason to question whether or not mastery of the Elder Wand comes from winning it or just the mindset of the user. Voldemort fears death above all else while Harry walks into the forest fully prepared to die. Thanks, of course, in part to his Council of the Dead, which Harry was able to summon to his side using the Resurrection Stone. Which is a great segue into the second brother, Cadmus, the creator of the Resurrection Stone, and as far as I'm concerned, the Cruciatus Curse. According to the story, Cadmus was an arrogant man who sought to humiliate death, so he asked death for a stone that could call the dead back away from him. And while he does get or make the stone, he discovers it doesn't really work the way he'd hoped. Because while he can successfully summon the girl he had hoped to marry in life, he finds that she is in constant suffering. Yet she was sad and cold, separated from him as by a veil. Though she had returned to the mortal world, she did not truly belong there and suffered. Finally, the second brother, driven mad with hopeless longing, killed himself so as truly to join her. Gosh, the wording there is so specific that there is no chance it is a mistake. Like, by a veil? That is 1000% a reference to the veil in the death chamber that Sirius falls through. Which, in case you were curious, we also have a theory that maybe the Peveril brothers were responsible for creating the veil itself. Full video by clicking the card. But I digress. It is pretty clear from the description of Cadmus's use of the stone that both for the living and the dead, the resurrection stone causes insufferable pain, even if it's not the kind you'd expect. Really, it's as Dumbledore says. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. And of course, what he means there is that while magic is obviously very powerful, the non-magic words you say to another person can be just as damaging and harmful or helpful than even the worst magic. It's like that old saying, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will leave me emotionally scarred and keep me in therapy for the rest of my life. I'll tell you who really understood this was umbrage, like sticks and stones might break your bones, but words will leave 16 different scars on your hand, Potter. I mean, obviously we don't normally want to experience pain of any kind, but it's interesting that as kids, everyone was way more concerned with bodily harm than mental harm. Either way, the point is, the pain felt by Cadmus Peveril and his deceased fiance is not physical pain, but it is non-stop emotional torture. Which I think, clever wizard that he was, Cadmus was able to convert into a spell which, if directed at another person, could cause them to feel that pain in a very physical way. But thus, the spell is kind of tragic, 
isn't it? It means it's not really about torturing someone else. It's about a way to release your own negative emotions which honestly lines up pretty well with how Bellatrix explains using the spell to Harry. Never use that unforgivable curse before, have you, boy? You need to mean them, Potter. You need to really want to cause pain, to enjoy it. Righteous anger won't hurt me for long. I'll show you how it's done, shall I? I'll give you a lesson. Now, of course, in her case, she really is trying to cause pain, but the takeaway is that you do need to be really feeling the emotion. Embrace your anger, if you will, and channel it through yourself into the spell. The best account we ever get for what it feels like to be hit with the Cruciatus Curse comes in the graveyard when Voldemort is using it to torture Harry. It was pain beyond anything Harry had ever experienced. His very bones were on fire. His head was surely splitting along his scar. His eyes were rolling madly in his head. He wanted it to end, to black out to die. It hurts so bad he wants to die, which is interesting wording because, of course, in the story, that's exactly what death wants, isn't it? And it's exactly how Cadmus felt until the point where he took his own life. And perhaps even more interestingly is that even in such pain, Harry does not pass out. Normally, if you were in that much pain, that would be your body's response to protect you from having to feel it. And yet, Harry stays conscious. Why? Because this isn't regular physical pain. It is emotional pain made physical. And emotional pain demands to be felt. That said though, eventually Harry himself manages to overcome the Cruciatus curse as well and no longer feel pain when hit with it. Which incidentally comes immediately after Harry has survived the Avada Kedavra curse for the second time. Harry has again become a master of death and the result, Harry had been expecting it. He knew his body would not be allowed to remain unsullied upon the forest floor. It must be subjected to humiliation to prove Voldemort's victory. He was lifted into the air and it took all his determination to remain limp. Yet the pain he expected did not come. Point is, Harry is not affected by the spell anymore, which is great for him because uh, he's still pretending to be dead in this situation. And I guess, does Voldemort think this is going to hurt a dead body? Does he just, what? This is weird. But if you're keeping track, that means that in becoming master of death, Harry is able to overcome two of the unforgivable curses, which to me furthers the connection between the unforgivable curses, the Deathly Hallows, and the Peveril brothers. All right, guys, and now we need to take a quick break to give a huge shout out to today's sponsor, Bespoke Post. Guys, spring and summer are finally upon us. And while we can't all have cool gear like the Deathly Hallows, we can have extra fresh cool gear from Bespoke Post. And they have got you covered no matter the season. Personally, I can recommend this cooler from the chill box. I've had it for a couple of summers now and it works great. Got more than enough room for myself and my kids and my wife's food and drink when we're off at the beach or on the lake or wherever and it still manages to look stylish and cool. Or there's the weekender box for your next warm weather trip which comes with this excellent canvas bag with a metal reinforced frame to keep all of your stuff extra safe. I mean look I know you've used bags before but understand me when I say it packs nicely. Speaking of bags, I think for my next box, I'm personally going to choose the Surge box. Every time I'm hanging out with Ben, he's got this little like cross body bag and now I'm gonna have a way cooler one. But seriously, it looks great for like a long day biking the trails or just going for a long walk or just walking around wherever you need to be. But look, if you don't want a side bag or a canvas bag or a cold box bag, better known as a cooler, not to worry because Bespoke Post has you covered with so many different collections for so many different lifestyles, bag or not. It is free to sign up. You can choose a box for every month, cancel whenever you want or skip a 
month whenever you want. And the value of each box is at $70, but you will only pay a fraction of that price. Plus, you can get 20% off your first box when you head over to boxofawesome.com and enter promo code SUPER at checkout. One more time, that's boxofawesome.com, promo code SUPER at checkout for your first box, which could be a bag. One more time, boxofawesome.com, promo code SUPER for 20% off your first box. Link is in the description down below. Speaking of whom, that brings us to the third brother, Harry's very own long dead ancestor, Ignotus Peverell, creator of the Invisibility Cloak, and as far as this theory is concerned, the Imperious Curse. Ignotus stands apart from his two brothers as the youngest and the wisest, and he does not seek to overpower or humiliate death simply to avoid him, or perhaps in a more realistic setting, just be left alone and protect the ones he loves. Similarly, the Imperious Curse stands apart from the other two unforgivable curses. While all three can be used to terrible ends and are very dangerous in the wrong hands, the experience of being hit by the first two is very different from being hit by the Imperious Curse. Avada Kedavra obviously kills you, Crucio makes you feel like your literal bones are on fire, but Imperious? It was the most wonderful feeling. Harry felt a floating sensation as every thought and worry in his head was wiped gently away, leaving nothing but a vague, untraceable happiness. He stood there feeling immensely relaxed, only dimly aware of everyone watching him. Wait, I'm sorry, is the Imperious Curse just like meditation? Because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like maybe I could go for a dose of Imperious Curse. You know, in a controlled setting with someone I trust. But you see what I mean? Rather than death or pain, it's bliss. And yes, complete control over the other person. But if Ignotus is indeed the creator of the Imperious Curse, then consider his intended use. It's just to hide and protect. He never had any intention to kill or cause harm, or in this case, enslave people. His goal was just to turn people away in an almost kind, even peaceful manner. Obviously it gets put to terrible use eventually, but can we really hold that against Ignotus if that wasn't its original intended use? I don't know, maybe, probably? I guess we can all see how we feel about whoever invented AI in like another five years, right? Or does that really lay on one person's shoulders? Or did it like invent itself? I don't know, but in the meantime, look, it drew me as a wizard. What do you mean? Yeah, yes it is. Shut up, it looks exactly like me. Okay, he has a way better chin and I should do my hair different. Getting back on track though, what continues to just blow my mind about this theory is how the Hallows and Harry's mastery of each one continues to match up with Harry's conquering of the corresponding curse. For example, it always kind of bothered me in Goblet of Fire when Barty Crouch Jr. is putting the class under the Imperious Curse and Harry is able to just shake it off on his very first try. And then he heard Mad-Eye Moody's voice echoing in some distant chamber of his empty brain. Jump onto the desk, jump onto the desk. Harry bent his knees obediently, preparing to spring. Jump onto the desk. Why though? Another voice had awoken in the back of his brain. Stupid thing to do, really, said the voice. Jump onto the desk. No, I don't think I will, thanks, said the other voice a little more firmly. No, I really don't want to. Like, I get it, Harry's just naturally gifted at defense against the dark arts, but if ever there was a just Harry's better than everyone because he's the chosen one moment, this is it. Because it's not like it's always super easy for him. I mean, it takes him like a whole year to learn how to do the Patronus charm, and he never gets very good at occlumency, like at all, but in one go with a powerful Death Eater casting an unforgivable curse on him, he should shakes it off on the first try? You kidding me? But this theory explains it because at that moment, Harry is already the master of the invisibility cloak and the spell 
and the object are linked by their creator, Ignotus Peveril. And you might think like, wait, I mean, sure, the cloak is extraordinary, but how would Harry's use of it be any different than another person's? And I'm right there with you, but Dumbledore, as ever, does seem to discern a difference. But the cloak I took out of vain curiosity, and so it could never have worked for me as it works for you, its true owner. Actually, and this feels like no coincidence at this point, but we mentioned earlier that throughout the story, Harry actually attempts to use two out of the three unforgivable curses. Crucio on Bellatrix, which Harry does hit her with the spell, but he doesn't really succeed and causing her much pain at all, largely I think because Harry is not the type of person to try to channel his emotional pain into another person. And then he also attempts the Imperious Curse when they're breaking into Gringotts. But when you look at these examples, Crucio is used moments after Sirius has passed through the veil. And the Resurrection Stone brings someone back as if they're separated by a veil. And it's like in that moment, all Harry wants to do is bring Sirius back. And it's almost as if instinctively he knows how to see him again and reaches for the correct brand of magic, the Cruciatus Curse. Crucio! Imperio, Harry is much more successful with and uses to control the goblin Bogrod to let them into the vaults at Gringotts. But goodness me, do you know what Harry happens to be wearing the very first time he uses this spell? The invisibility cloak. Ah, like the pattern connecting these things is just too real. In the story of the three brothers, arguably Ignotus is the only one to master his hallow while the other two become victims of theirs. Harry, on the other hand, masters all three. When Cadmus uses the resurrection stone, it causes him the unbearable pain of the Cruciatus curse and he wants to die. But when Harry uses it, it's so that he can be peacefully escorted to death and afterwards he's no longer affected by the Cruciatus Curse. Antioch seeks to conquer death and be invincible by using the Avada Kedavra Curse with the Elder Wand, whereas Harry allows himself to be hit by the unblockable Avada Kedavra Curse with the unbeatable Elder Wand and remains unaffected. And as if you need any more convincing at this point, here's where things get super fun. Even the names match up with the spells. A, Antioch and Avada Kedavra, C, for Cadmus and the Cruciatus Curse, and I, for Ignotus and the Imperious Curse. A pattern that actually continues to be carried over to the only confirmed creator of another dark magic spell in the series. The Half-Blood Prince and Sectum Sempra, or should I say, Severus Snape and Sectum Sempra. Ah, I love this theory so much. Big shout out one more time to Brett's thoughts over on TikTok. Again, there is a link in the description down uh, to his original posting if you want to see that or his other Harry Potter content, all really good. So definitely go, uh, go check it out. Thanks for watching today's video as always, guys. If you want to see how the three brothers also created the veil and maybe some other magical artifacts, you can check out this video right here. But Ben, otherwise, until next time, I will see you in another life, brother.